rainy January morning. Morning, Miss Judy. I think it was warmer up by our place than it was here. It was, yeah, the cold front must have slipped through 26 tonight. So, you know, what a difference a day makes. So, so we're going to go ahead and uh, ease into this this morning. And uh, for those of you who may be just joining us, we're working our way through Romans, and we're in Romans 3.21 through 26. And... We have moved into kind of a bit of a word study from this section, and, and as we've heard, um, words matter, uh, and the meaning of these words are often lost in today's language, and there's such a rich, rich understanding that flows up from more of the, the historical meaning as they were being penned by the, the writer through the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, there's a couple of things on my heart, especially as I started to listen to the music uh, practice. And um, I, I know just coming through this study, coming through the first of the year, and, and just the blessing that if you know the Lord, then you know the way the Lord and His truth and His Spirit. Sometimes there's just waves of peace and contentment that come over you. And it's, I think that will be over the course of our entire life in Christ. And it's such a blessing. And I was sharing with Tina just, just how strongly that was for me as we turn to this, this year and this season of humanity. And I really believe that much of it is just, just the depth of this passage and um, my great desire is to pass as much of that along as possible. Um, and just to know that no matter what our circumstances are, um, being in Christ allows us the comfort that even in the worst of those circumstances, it's all part of God's divine unfolding plan for his glory but for our good and we were reminded of that Tina and I were we had some dear friends dear brothers and sisters sitting at our table um, Christmas day with our family and I think close to 24 hours from that moment Alan woke up with his tractor trailer and the trailer full of he woke up crashing into the woods at 60, 70 miles an hour. And at that very moment, as we realize now, as we try to come alongside of this precious couple, their lives are forever changed. And although God uses all things for good, it is not necessarily good what happens that brings that about. But I just wanted to share from Miss Tammy the essence of just a childlike faith in the midst of these circumstances that are unfolding in their life. She said, the Lord allowed this to happen this way for his purpose. I just pray all his will will be accomplished in us in this circumstance. 
And I just think that that should just mark our lives. And as Paul said, whether we are in the comforts and prosperity of life or in, if we are sitting in a cell with nothing in our life, then in Christ we can trust and have that peace. And knowing this passage, I think, helps us just be anchored down in that. So if I may, I'll just pray for us, and then we'll open up with this, this section of Scripture. Father, we just come before you, and I pray that we can just let the cares of daily life, of the struggles, of the worries, of the concerns, of the needs just fade away so that we can just focus our hearts and minds on the blessed work of your beloved son and to plumb the depths of what it means to be in Christ and the glorious truth that it is all to our triune God's praise and glory that we are in Christ. And so we just praise you for that, Father. We praise you, Lord, for going to that cross. We just praise thy spirit for all that he began and now continues to do through our sanctification. We thank you for this fellowship and this time to freely and openly worship you. And Lord, we just lift all these things up in your ever-precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in Romans 3.21. I want to just read this again. I don't think we can... Read it enough and to commit it to memory is, is of great benefit. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, the one, the one soul at a time, one soul at a time, right? Um, 
So la last week we worked our way through from a word study perspective the this righteousness of God that Paul talks about and, and the righteousness of God, which is Christ alone, that is also the righteousness from God which we receive through this beautiful work of God that is unpacked in here. We looked at what believing faith looks like, right? It is the it is the two sides of the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and create an instantaneous justification, a one-time event that lasts for eternity and then begins inseparably, contrary to much of what is taught, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, which is now the transformation of our life over the course of that moment we are justified through faith in what Christ has done until the very day we die where we are being sanctified sometimes like this right we all have those ups and downs of sanctification but we will all be progressing in that and then the day we go stand before the Lord we will find this glorious eternal state that we will enjoy forever and that is much of what Paul talks about in this believing faith as he talks about in John 8:32 that if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and the you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Sin after sin, struggle after struggle over the course of your life. This morning, we're going to look at this uh, rather deep water of the family of words around our translations, which are justification, just, justifier, justified. Um, very, very important set of words. And I really thought it'd be helpful. I've talked about these two men in particular from hundreds of years ago, Haldane and Hendrickson. But I want to just let you hear Haldane's perspective on this, uh, this whole issue of justification, just, justify, or justified. Haldane says, justification is a matter of imputation. Now, imputation is the word we're going to look at next. But for the, for the purpose of this point, that word imputation is a reckoning or a charging. Now, think about that. That is, that is this one-time event that occurs. You are reckoned something. You are charged something, right? And it comes to us in, this, in the word of imputation. But it's so important as we understand what we are and what we have in Christ. This is the way Haldane unpacks it. The sinner's guilt is imputed, charged, to Christ. The latter's righteousness, Christ, is imputed, charged, to the sinner. And that is this great exchange that we hear about so often. It is also what Paul's talking about in Colossians when we are transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I want you to think about that. We'll look at this next week. But here sits those two sides of that chasm that Jesus told in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. There's a chasm. It's fixed between you, right? And somehow, in God's grace, he transfers us from one to the other through this series of divine actions that God is revealing to us through Paul in this passage. He goes on to say, while justification is a matter of imputation, which is 
positional, right? You are declared the righteousness of Christ. That's positional, right? It's very important to try to, try to work your way through this. Sanctification is a matter of transformation, which is an action, it's ongoing, and it is through the work of the Holy Spirit and the saint in this process, but they are two sides of the very same event, right? I love how he brings out that, as we see, and we'll look at this passage, in justification, it is the Father who takes the lead. In sanctification, it is the Holy Spirit. In the once-for-all sacrifice, it's Christ. You see the, the triune God? Don't take this wrong. I love to exalt my Lord. But it is our triune God. And they were all involved, and they continue to all be involved in this glorious work. That's why Jesus could say, I and the Father, we're one. There is no incongruence in what we're doing here. Don't let anybody introduce that thought into your Bible study. Right? This is a once-for-all verdict. The second being sanctification, a lifelong process. They are distinct, but are never separate from one another. Very, very important, right? And there have been seasons where that war has been waged, where we can be saved and not have a shred of love for the Word of God, the obedience to God, and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, right? I think it started to show up in the form of the carnal Christian terminology, right? Because we've declared that we're saved, but our life has no shred of it in it whatsoever, right? Hendrickson, and you'll see the difference of these two men. It's one of the reasons why I enjoy them, because they're, they're at very different ends of the spectrum. Hendrickson talks about this passage and this justification in the dominant forensic sense. Okay, so that sounds forensic, right? Forensic, in, in this context, is precise. In the precise sense, he's saying. And I, I draw that out because this whole section should command us to getting into this section of Scripture over and over the course of our life and being very precise in our understanding of what's going on in this passage because it is the deep, glorious, divine work of God that occurs in the salvation of a soul, ours if it's saved, and anybody we desire to witness to and to see to come to the knowledge of this truth. So Hendricks goes on, in the dominant forensic sense, to justify means to declare righteous, and justification, separate from justified, declare righteous, justification may be defined as that gracious act of God whereby on the basis solely of Christ's accomplished mediatorial work, he declares the sinner just. So now you see how Paul brings in the latter part in verse 26. 
and the latter accepts this benefit with a believing heart. And in the study notes that Rick puts up from last week and this week, there, there is a whole Bible study in here of passages you can go work with and work through. Because as we see so often, nothing teaches us Scripture like Scripture. So a really good, thorough concordance is one of your greatest Bible study tools because it's going to keep you in the Word of God and take you to passages that make this beautiful kind of banquet of, of words from God about these various topics. With that in mind, I want to just walk through with all that in our mind. I want to walk through a series of passages and, again, let Scripture teach us. Look at Genesis 15, 6. This is a essential, foundational passage where God is showing us what Paul has unpacked for us in Romans 3, 21 through 26. And he says it to Abraham in this way. And he believed the Lord. And he, here it comes, counted it to him as righteousness. And Paul will go on to that following this section of scripture because it, what he's showing is the continuity of God and the continuity of his salvation and how it has never changed. Never. It's always been through this means. Look at Galatians 2, 15 through 16, and we'll begin to see this doctrine of justification by faith get unpacked. Galatians 2, 15 through 16 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. So he's being exclusionary in this passage. It is not the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified it's exclusionary and as we looked at next week it nullifies the grace of God to think that we can somehow earn this grace by being fill in the blank more religious more good more this more that One of the most beautiful passages, look at Hebrews 10, 14. This passage really speaks to this idea of imputation, which, big words, really has in it both propitiation and expiation, or substitution and a carrying away, right? Jesus became your substitute, Jam. And as that substitute, he carried your sins away to that cross. Now, did we have that prefigured for us in the Old Testament somewhere? Abraham and Isaac? The thicket? 
the substitute. You see how consistently God has been showing us why this but now that talks about is so glorious? Because now we can see without this veil what the triune God has done in the inner Trinitarian work to be able to declare a sinner not guilty, right? That's what this whole section is helping us. And look at this passage, and boy, you could unpack this for a lifetime as well. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, for by a single offering, he has perfected. There's that positional statement again. Grady, do you think of yourself as perfected? No, but are you in eternity? Yes. That is a wondrous. When you are struggling in your sanctification, that's the passage to grab hold of. Because when you take your last breath, you're going to be in this state of perfected. Right? So it's already done. It's not a go after it. It is a promise from God and one of the most important promises to hold on to tightly. He has perfected for all time. And then look at the paradox of this if you don't understand it. Those who are being sanctified. So ongoing state of being sanctified, but already perfected. In eternity and it gets back to how God looks at time there is no time with God what he began in the election of the Saints from before the foundation of the world before anything was ever created is already finished and everything in between is just the unfolding work of God and the Providence that brings those Saints sinners to the kingdom transferred from one to the other and they are there already, but not yet, as many of the theologians say. That's why they say that. You see how masterfully it is in this passage from this writer of the book of Hebrews? The other thing you realize, it's all the work of God. Paul, in these beams that come out of this passage in Romans 3.21, goes to Romans 5.9. So look at Romans 5.9. And Paul uses this phrase a lot. It's a, because of everything I've said up to this point, and he unpacks this over and over throughout this book. It's just like this. Um, it, it just keeps unpacking itself. He says in Romans 5.9, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood... This one-time finished work of Christ on the cross. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So, the, so Paul is distinguishing between the cross and the blood and this much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Now think about this. The cross was the means by which 
your sins were paid for by Christ. When Christ came out of that tomb, it was the declaration of the Father who accepted the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. And therefore, Paul can say with all conviction, there is therefore now no condemnation. Praise God, no condemnation. Because what do we live under over the entire course of our unsaved life, no matter how or especially the more religious we are? Condemnation. We can never get out from under this sin. Because it's positional. We're declared righteous. We are no longer condemned, though we struggle through sanctification. And we want to understand that in our lives. Because it's one of the ways that Satan and the world will steal your testimony. Because it's those very things that Christ died for. It's not like he died for you. And then he threw it to you and said, now you finish the work, did he? He said he's going to finish what he started. And that's what all this justification is helping us see. Yes, you just stole my last verse. Beautiful, Mark. No, I love that. That's precisely where we should go, Mark. Because that passage, too, just takes this whole thing and just binds it up in the most beautiful way. So thank you. Seriously. I love that. And here comes Romans 8.1. There is, therefore, now no condemnation that's positional and ongoing for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see why Paul says in Christ so many times during his corpus? Do a word search for in Christ. Paul loves that term because in Christ is the means by which he can communicate all these wonderful divine truths because they all are found in Christ, right? There is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8.1. And those who are in Christ Jesus, that is the qualification. That is the qualification or this righteousness of God, Christ Jesus, that becomes the righteousness from God that we receive and is precisely how God can be just and the justifier when he says there is no condemnation. And it's the courtroom, isn't it? It's the heavenly courtroom, the accuser, Satan. That Ryan, you mean Ryan? We're going to bring Ryan before the court. Well, I have got a list of Ryan's life right here. And at some point in that courtroom scene, which is given to us in the book of Revelation, there is a transition from the accusations, all of which are absolutely true. When the father says, but... I declare him not guilty because my son has paid his debt. That's what happens. Won't that be the last part of that tear that gets wiped away? It's just precious. 
want us to look at Romans 8, 33, just a few verses down. And this is a wondrous passage that just explodes in Paul's heart as he ponders the intercessory work of our Lord that we see in Hebrews 7.25 and the mediatorial work of our Lord in Hebrews 9.15. And this is why we can be sure he is interceding for us. He is mediating for us. And we have direct access to that throne room while that's taking place. All the time. That's why I said last week, I understand the desire to run back to the cross. I'm just saying it's so much more that we can run right into the throne room of God because it is the cross that qualified us in Christ to come to the throne room of God. So go to the throne room where Christ is already interceding for you for the very thing you're coming to him for. Isn't that wonderful? blood is what qualifies us to walk right into that throne room and I just don't think we think literally enough about that in our life because where is Christ in the believer where's the where's the Holy Spirit right here right here One more verse, and then we'll get to Marky's verse. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. I want you to just see this work of the triune God and the hearts that we must have. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The Word of God and the Spirit of God come together to exalt Christ in the obedience of our life. The first step of that obedience as we take in the Word of God is, is certainly to challenge ourselves when we don't understand it, but to rebuke ourselves when we don't believe it. How much of the visible church is astray right now because they read what a five-year-old could understand from the scriptures and then reject it as if it weren't true? because it just doesn't square with the way I think how far the church has gone astray on these things because we don't simply believe in the truth and then seek to understand it, right? And to Mark's point, 2 Corinthians 5.17, look how this just kind of wraps up everything we've just talked about in terms of justification. Therefore, again, Paul loves that therefore. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation. And it's amazing how varied God works and the sinners that he saved. And some come through a life into salvation where, where it's like, I'm not exactly sure when that, I know it took place, but my life was, I, 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 I this, I that, and it was in, in all of that that I came to know the Lord in a very real way. Some of us came to salvation, that beautiful light, with lives wrapped in darkness. I mean horrendous, sinful, shameful darkness. <laughs> but no matter which one you're talking about, from that domain of darkness to that kingdom of God, God did some things that made that person an entirely new creation. Another good one to have committed to your memory when those darts come at you that were warned about, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And just so we're sure, all this is from your cooperation with God. The wonderful things you did that made God want to save you? No. All this is from God, which is why no one can snatch it out of their hands. It's all of them. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And there's that reconciliation that we talked about, Judy. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The opportunity now, having had this done to us, to go out and share it in a proper and, may I say, precise way. What God is continuing to do in the lives of countless souls. Saints who don't even know it yet. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, and therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. There's those sojourners in a strange land who represent a king and an authority that is not of the land we're in, but yet we are the ambassadors to bring that truth of that king to the world we're walking in, right? What a privilege. Do you think about the privilege that is to be ambassadors for Christ? God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here comes this beautiful imputation that we just talked about, which is both this idea of substitution and 
carrying away. Here it is. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there is the essence of imputation, which is our next word that is so important. We're just going to look at a couple of passages around imputation. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. And I just like to draw from the Old Testament because they so precisely show the continuity of God's saving ways. But Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There's the imputation. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. There's justification. So you see how rich it is in the Old Testament just as much as the new once you begin to understand it and can look for it. There's no God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. <laughs> Not at all. He is saving exactly the same way. But on this side of the cross, this but now time, we have that veil completely removed and can now walk an unbeliever and a believer through these beautiful divine works of God that occurred in this chasm between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of his beloved son, because that's where it occurs, right? We know this passage very, very well in Isaiah 53, 5. But just look at the tenderness of this passage when we look at the cross. And I want to give you another thought. This passage from Isaiah, written hundreds of years before the cross, speak of a time when the people of Israel will be looking back at the cross and saying these things because it is written in the past tense. Because this event was future for Isaiah. You with me? This passage takes you hundreds of years before the cross, throws you sometime beyond where we are today, and looks back at the cross through these words of Israel. Okay? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. There's the substitute. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, no condemnation, justification. And with his wounds we are healed. There's your imputation and expiation that Paul is unpacking in this passage. This is why Paul, as Saul, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, who has been now rejected by his family and his beloved Israel, is so perfect to write these truths for us and to have them unpacked out of this Old Testament truth that we have been given. One more passage here, Romans 5, 18 through 19. 
on this issue of imputation. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And there it is again. And we'd be remiss if we didn't, before we go to the last section, speak to Philippians 1.6, which is this. I am sure of this, says Paul, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, when Christ is glorified, his completed work. 1 Corinthians 15, when the Son has now brought all of the elect over all of eternity, and he returns his bride, that elect, and himself back to the Father so that they can now be complete in an eternal way. The work that was finished on the cross that justified every believer, past, present, and future, has now been brought to its full fruition, and they can return the bride, the elect from before the foundation of the world, back to the Father who was the one who elected them. 1 Corinthians 15, just read it carefully because that's precisely what it reveals. Now, I want to take the time we've got left, which isn't much, and, and speak to grace. And we may carry this into next week. But I want to just look at a couple of things about grace. And again, this is drawn from this big cloud of witnesses that, that uh, help us so much. Grace is God's love directed toward the guilty, just as his mercy is that same love directed towards those in misery. But what a beautiful message to take to those that we find today in absolute misery for a variety of different reasons, right? It is easy to understand that freely and by his grace go together. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I just love this. And Nathan and I were talking about Dr. Jones's ministry was 1939 through 1935, uh, 40 years. But his ministry began in England while the bombs were dropping while the cities in Europe was being ravaged, why the world was falling to Nazi Germany. That was the time that he began to teach this book. <laughs> it's wondrous. He says this, there is no more wonderful word than grace. It means unmerited favor or kindness shown to one here comes Romans 1, 18 through 3.20, who is utterly undeserving. It is not merely a free gift, but a free gift to those who deserve the exact opposite. And it is given to us while we are without hope and without God in the world. It's a work that God does. He initiates it in you and 
over the course of their effectual work, it will flow out of you. It's why Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 38, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. If you believe in me, <laughs> right. Boyce commented, and I just couldn't, How difficult is this for us today? How we have discussed this over the last several weeks, even and maybe most horrendously within the church. Boyce says in 1950, we have far too high of an opinion of ourselves to understand all of this. Because the beginning of the work of God is to bring us to this point of realizing I have nothing to give to this need of salvation than my sin. And to say I have something good to offer, again, is to nullify the grace of God. It's no longer a free gift. It's earned even in a small way. So important to understand that. Because right now there are literally millions of people who believe something very different than that and yet claim to be in Christ. And the word of God won't allow it. Right? Because we think that we are okay, because we're, we're somewhat better on the scale of righteousness than many others, it leans in our direction, Boyce says. And it is right here that this line of thinking and believing or disbelieving that our God-given faith or absent of it is found. Now to wrap all this up, I want you to open to Ephesians. And I want you to see just how beautifully this passage just, again, wraps up everything we've talked about over the last two weeks and really since we began this study 52 weeks ago now. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. There's a fifth, there's a five-year-old. What does that mean, Johnny? Uh, it means you were dead in trespasses and sins. It's clear as a bell, isn't it? In which you once walked, here we are, right? Here's the once were, but here we are. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, a little bit of message about this, your worldview right there, following the prince of the power of the air, more about the, your worldview, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So it tells you about the world we're living in, the ruler of this world, and the participants that are in it, and to whom they obey. You are of your father, the devil. And then look at the horrendous reality of this state. Among whom we all once lived, we were right there with them, 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. There's Romans 1.18 through 3.22 a T, so that every mouth may be stopped. But God, look at verse 4, don't stop, but go to verse 4. But God, and here they all come, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, I always think about John's passage, we love him because he first loved us. So here comes that love that allowed us to love him. The great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and there's where that love came to you, when you were dead, when you were up in verses 1 through 4, 1 through 3 made us alive together with Christ. That resurrection, here comes that new creation, Mark. And the first thing that flows out of that new creation is belief, faith, hope, and understanding of the cross. Because we have been quickened to life, to the things of God which we lost all the way back in Genesis 3. Just wondrous. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul wants no doubt. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that's why you're already perfected, Grady. In the eternal state, you're sitting with Christ in the throne room. And here's where I go back to, do we believe this? Or do we think, like so many authors we read today, where it's just nice, touchy-feely words? They make you feel kind of warm and fuzzy, but they're not true. These words are true. These words are to be grabbed a hold of and believed without any doubt that they are absolutely the divine revelation of God to us so that we can believe and understand what they have done for us. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, here's the why, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And here comes Paul saying it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And here's the, here's the Reformation question. Where does faith come from? It is a gift from God so that we can just take that crown that we are given and throw it right back to the feet of our Lord because it was all because of what our triune God has done to have mercy on undeserved sinners. It's just glorious if you believe it. But if you say, no, I brought some good stuff to the table here, you can just throw this whole passage right out the window. 
and more so. What are you saying to God? Seriously. Huh? Seriously. What are you saying to God? No thanks, God? I don't want your complete gift. It's not good enough for me if I didn't do something or in some way be worthy enough to get the gift. That's how we nullify grace right there. It's fearful. It's truly fearful. And this is not of your own doing. How clear could, there's that five-year-old statement again. Johnny, what does not of your own doing mean? It's not of my doing. My sister did it. (laughs) Not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, all of it. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. And then here comes our sanctification. Divinely appointed by God so that we may exalt Christ. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And when you walk right into that situation where only God could have providentially orchestrated that circumstance, do you understand what just took place? The decretive will of God from before the foundation of the world, anything was ever created, just showed up in your life. And the question for us is, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's just look quickly. I'll read to you Romans 5.20 and then we'll just pray. Romans 5.20 says, Now, The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Meaning, in your blessed life of sanctification, you're going to stumble and you're going to sin, and God knew it so that he could continue to sanctify you all the more as you got up and trusted his word. Grace is always going to be greater than our failures as a saint. Ethan, would you pray for us?